Hi there, before we start, if you're new to our show, thank you so much for tuning into our program and we hope you'll stay with us for a very long time. And if you're a regular listener, thank you so much for your continuous support throughout this period of uncertainty. We're really grateful for all your kind words and encouragement. You really help this podcast to gain a great exposure as our mission is to center the perspectives of the people who look like us and as women and people who are marginalized historically to the sideline of conversation. So if you haven't already, we encourage you to subscribe to our podcast on Omni, Apple and Google or Spotify. Leave us a rating and a review. And if you'd like to support us, please head to Buy Me Coffee page to make a donation, which will help us to continue the intersectionality of the podcast industry. Okay, hi guys, it's Jessie. Hi, this is Helen. And we are Asian Bitches Demo Under. Bitching away, as we always do, um, <laughs> on a daily basis. Bitching as in, you know, talking about stuff and critically analyzing all the things in society that we want changed. Mm-hmm. And also in between consuming a lot of things like TV shows, movies and books. books. Yeah. Um, all of which we are all in love with. Um, very exciting. We should start uh, our own book club, really, Helen, because we often read the same things. Yeah, Isn't most of right? us will read the same things, but at the same time, both of us have very different interests. Okay. As in genres yeah. as well. You're more into essay yeah. stuff that are more intimate, whereas I like to read novels and different stories and genre period yeah. and kind of things. Yeah, and also Helen, you read between you read between languages. You can read and also write in um, Chinese and Mandarin, which I think is just like it's probably not such a huge thing, say in Europe where many more people are monolingual, but in Australia, um and in a lot of white dominant societies, most people are monolingual. Sorry, um, did I say before? What did I say before? You said mono- monolingual mono- or yeah. multilingual? I meant multilingual. Oh, so multi- like in Europe, oh, when people yeah. have speak, um, but over here, um, you know, in Australia, most people, like myself, can only read one language. And it's um, it's uh, I think it's um, I I know that um, uh, an essay collection I read, Violent Phenomena. I can't recommend it enough. Someone in that essay said that monolingualism is a disease, is an illness, um, which I agree, um, and which I have, um, unfortunately, because I can only read and write in English. I can speak in Mandarin, but but it's completely different, isn't it, Helen, to be able to read and write in another language? Yeah, but you can still process your mind through different languages, couldn't you? I think processing your mind is somehow a way that you can adopt into other cultures and other forms of thinking so not necessarily yeah. that you need to write or read but having another language processing in your mind is a really big advantage i'll say it's a privilege like i'll say it's a yeah privilege. no absolutely yeah but i but it's so like so many people can speak another language and people often do learn another language in order to communicate with, say, like a, a partner or a partner's family or, mm-hmm. you know, if they're working or living in another country as expats, they learn how to speak the language. But um, very few. Really? I don't I think I don't, it's... Uh, okay. But it's like a whole other skill set to learn to read and write. Mm. And that's what I find really extraordinary. Yeah. 
But I want to kind of disagree with you and with expats. I don't think really expats will pick up the local language. Well, no, I'm not saying. I, I didn't say. I didn't mean. I didn't mean expats. I didn't mean like a lot of expats do it. I'm just saying people who do learn a language, another language, such as expats, um, they often only learn how to speak it. That's what I meant. Hmm. I see. Yeah, I guess, it, like I said, it's a privilege. You know, you have the capacity to process your mind and the way of Absolutely. your thinking. You know, and the way that you perceive the world as well. It, it comes out differently when you utilize another language. That's for sure. Yeah, and like I think that's a privilege that Helen, you and I both share, since we come from a migrant family. You know, like our background is Taiwanese. We grew up um, speaking. Our first language was. Mandarin or well, Taiwanese wasn't Taiwanese, it? yeah, Dai. Yeah, yeah, which I've completely lost. But it's there's something very primal um, and native and true mm. when I hear it. It feels right when I hear it. My parents don't speak it enough. They mostly speak um, Mandarin now. But uh, yeah, I want to jump into this week. Um, I don't have. I ha- I don't want to talk about what I've been reading or watching because okay. I haven't been anything that's worthy of reflection here on this podcast. Um, something I have been thinking about that I want to share with you, Helen, and our listeners mm-hmm. is uh, a podcast called "How Dad's Dad: How Other Dad's Dad" um, by Hamish Blake. And Hamish Blake is someone who I give zero f's about. Um, and. <laughs> Kind of find you. I, I I thought the whole shtick with Hamish and Andy, something that I can't. Every time they came up on any kind of screen that I was watching, um, involuntarily, um, I would just my reaction was just to roll my eyes and turn away. Mm-hmm. That's how I actually think about them. Um, Hamish Blake is married to Zoe Blake Foster. Zoe Foster Blake who is like an entrepreneur basically and also a kids children's book writer she's like kind of an influencer she so they they kind of on instagram they have they present themselves as having the perfect life now hamish blake um the reason i mentioned him this this podcast that he started about three weeks ago called how dads how other dads dad mm-hmm. um, i kind of was interested in it initially as like a hate listen like, you know, when you hate watch something, you, like, you like, oh, no, I'm really going to hate it. I'm going to be able to criticize it so bad. And so I started off hate listening to it. Mm-hmm. The first, um, the first, and what I mean by that is just like kind of knowing something is going to, it, it kind of the whole, the reason why I listen to it is because I'm interested. Well, first of all, I'm just, I'm interested in how he was going to do it because like um, my whole feeling around fatherhood and men kind of getting this whole kudos and huge pat on their backs for being you know quote unquote fathers Mm -hmm. um really was born out of very 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 long and year-long discussions i've had with my friend billy who i think is the smartest human on the planet and he's kind of observations about how um in his workplace he noticed that a lot of fathers or new fathers were getting really a kind of heightened sense of grandiosity and reverence once they became new fathers Mm -hmm. in a way that like um people who achieve other things um don't get that kind of kudos or um the Mm -hmm. sense of reverence that is universally applauded you know um and so I was interested to see how Hamish Blake was going to deal with this um basically he interviews Australian men 
Mm -hmm. So far, they've all been straight and hetero. Um, about iconic about, characters, yeah, or like, well, quote unquote iconic. Um, about their thoughts about fathers. Mm -hmm. So, like, he'll he'll start the episode with like, "What's your dad's status?" Which is like, "How many kids you have?" And then, kind of throughout the hour long episode, he usually kind of lets the um the interviewee talk about their key dad strategies and things like that. Mm -hmm. And so, the first three episodes uh, have landed; they will land on Fridays, like us. And so, the first episode was with Rob Sitch, who is um very very revered iconic like you say yes helen um australian filmmaker actor comedian he's been mm -hmm. around for decades mm -hmm. probably most famous i think i'm pretty sure he did fast forward or for what was that eric banner show that we grew up watching Bunchal? Bunchal? yeah was yeah. that it yeah. and uh he you know wrote and i think maybe directed um the castle mm, okay in thank god you're here when, when that show was on and um those shows are so old like yeah, yeah. Years plus. yeah and like um i think i kind of want to take a step back and just say i thought i would hate this podcast in that it would be the epitome of what billy and i have talked about in the sense that these are men who because they're iconic um probably were never were were not the main um carers of their children mm -hmm. and so they're men who got to do their work being famous mm. and being in the spotlight and while like n n not having to be at home doing the child rearing and yet now they're on the podcast talking about their role as fathers you know they kind of was strange to me and in many ways it's ridiculous in that it gives these people a platform who probably like most likely like I said do less of the child rearing and child caring than their female partners but on the other hand, it's a place where they get to talk about their roles as dads, which I think is really an absent space. Well, I thought it was generally I think it's quite absent. Like when you think about parents, when you ask mothers about mothers groups, um, often it's a very common thing for young mothers or new mothers to have a mothers group. But like fathers group, I think, is rarer. I haven't seen them or heard yeah. of them. Yeah. And um there, to me, there's nothing more annoying than a man who pats himself on the back for being a dad, but actually does almost zero parenting, which yeah. I think, which I think most a lot of men still kind of are in that space, you know, experience that. And and I guess I was thinking Hamish Blake had to take out a lot of time as well to do this podcast, you know, so he wasn't dadding when he was doing this podcast. Mm -hmm. um, that he likes to use that term like dad dadding like dad as a verb and so in rob's in the first episodes with rob sitch um there's this part where he was they were talking about the castle and how uh the main character you know helen you've seen the castle right i've seen like long time ago when you first came out and our brother is obsessed with that story yeah. <laughs> oh, I mean, it's, it's it's universally loved and i'm also part of that pack mm. and the father figure um in the movie he is known for being like really really protective a, very very like um gregarious in his appreciation of his family so like um you know when he when his wife puts like something basic on the table he goes off and says oh my god look at this this is amazing isn't she the best cook ever you know mm. And then um, so Rob Sitch was kind of saying to Hamish, this is something that 
I really found really useful in my role as a dad. My dad did it. I did it. And then Hamish said something like, oh, yeah, I did it the evening, that evening when I went home. I praised my wife Zoe's cooking and the kids loved it. And then I was like, I was like kind of like my first response was like, why don't you do the cooking? Like there's there doesn't seem to be like it, if it's about daddying this podcast, it should almost be like a, a podcast called How to Make Your Wife Feel Appreciated rather than like flipping the coin on like who does the cooking and labor at home, you know? Like my first response was, it's great that you appreciate your wife, but um, why is she still doing the cooking kind mm-hmm. of thing, you know? Yeah, I think there are a lot of aspects that I want to respond to what you just said. Firstly, about all this about parenthood, um, how in the last few years that parenting has become such an entertainment platform that has gone out madly over across all the platforms of media, that's one thing. And people making money out of it. You know, I'm saying I'm saying that, you know, talking about your parenting, talking about your kids, um, people use that to make money out of it. And secondly, in regards of what you said about how in, uh, in relation with the castle, how the father figure is going over the top, uh, praising his wife about cooking. Yeah. Um, I, I, somehow I feel like that's just a very white thing. Um, Why is that? Not because um, it hasn't happened to all the family of people of color, but it just... Initially, for me, it doesn't feel very relatable to us because I don't see that happened with our own household. As in, those kind of intimacy kind of conversation and appraisal doesn't come into our family directly. Yeah, I feel like it's not like one of our languages of love. Yes, exactly. Like we don't verbally, you, we don't don't verbally, you don't verbally praise someone. Praise, yeah. that, oh, that's that's excellent. You're amazing. It. No, I've never heard that from our parents. <laughs> I don't think our parents have once said we're amazing. <laughs> they've said like, yeah, you're pretty good or like well done, but like yeah. they've never said anything that was incredible. I remember the day that I got my result from the UAI the, after the ecstasy and I told our dad about it and I had my name printed on the newspaper and my, you know how our dad, his usual response is like, hmm, good. And you see a bit of like a smile. You don't even know if it's a smile in his face yeah. or something like that. It's, yeah, I think it's just like they really don't have the skills or they don't know how to do yeah, it. Yeah, that's yeah, right. I think this is what our generation is trying to learn when it comes to, you know, raising the next generation. Okay, anyway. Yeah, something, but, but I like that you racialized it because maybe it is a racial thing because I think that um, in Asian cultures, um, verbally uh sort of using words to uh, to signal love is not a thing like it's not one of the languages of love yeah that's 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 how we come back and talk about how you say that why wouldn't it be better that the man was doing the cooking rather than he's taking credit of saying um yeah i i applaud her i say nice things about nice things about what she did i think it's a little bit of a culture nuance there that at least for our for us in our household where we grew up that we expected someone to show their love through actions rather than words yeah Yeah. and 
Um, there's a phrase in Chinese. I don't know if it's universal across Chinese Chinese language cultures, but in Taiwan, um, there's a really funny phrase labeling the men by saying that. But when they're getting older, men end up they only have a mouth, as in 男人只剩一张嘴 Yeah, it means that they only can do the talk. They they don't really do the actions. Yeah, yeah, and some societies regard that as what the politicians do. You know, a lot of politicians that end up just all talk but no actions at all. Yeah, and I, I am assuming this is what you mean. Is that correct? Yeah, I think so. And I like that you brought it up, Helen, because um. I remember distinctly when I was maybe like fourteen or fifteen, and this was life-altering. This conversation that I had with my father, where、mm-hmm. um, he, he and I—I I honestly don't have one fathom of、uh, clue. I don't have any idea what we were discussing or debating about. But I remember it was—it was some sort of conflict where I said to him, "If you wanted me to do that, why didn't you just say that? Why didn't you just communicate it verbally?"、Mm-hmm. And he said, "These things should not need to be communicated." And I just, my mind just completely blew in my brain because I was like, "Wow, we live in two such different worlds." Like I live in a world where I grew up, and I, like you said,、um, like you totally hit it on the spot, Helen. It's white thing where I grew up around white in the white country where like we are taught to if we want something we just ask for it. Yes, you have to. We verbalize、yeah. our、um, desires. Whereas like my father was like. These things, like he was like, you should, you should know these things.、So、he was like, you, like he always.、Um, it's so hard to not talk about these things and not seem like we're criticizing our parents. And I'm not, you know, it's so hard. Is、um, it the way they grew up, or yeah, they? Yeah. So my parents, like our parents, and all often a lot of Asian parents, like. Um, my like I remember seeing my father. The whole his whole life was like he always said as a husband to my mother, he said that he had to assume or like、um, he had to always、um, project or like he always had to foreshadow whatever she wanted and do it before she asked.、Mm-hmm. You know, and like I just I remember thinking like what kind of I can't do that I can't. I can't assume anything. I can't like you can't understand. Like I just think you can't remind. You, I don't know. You, how do you communicate without verbalizing what you want? Like it just doesn't make sense to me, you know. And and like um, what you say, like it's interesting because like when Hamish Blake was saying, like it was almost like yeah, his wife was showing her love through cooking, and he was showing his love through like just saying thank you. This is great. But I'm like. It takes her two hours and like another two hours of. It takes probably her two hours to cook, another two hours or maybe an hour just to go grab the groceries or to think about what to do. There's a mental load. So,、yeah. like as in, if we think of it materially, it costs her way more, right,、mm-hmm. of her time and her effort to cook the dinner, and then it costs him almost nothing just to say, "Wow, isn't that amazing, kids? Wasn't that great? Isn't mum awesome? Like, what does that cost him? Like." Two seconds of his time and like you know three three breaths of his lungs just to say that so it just it doesn't, it doesn't measure up but like、yeah. and and it, like I appreciate I really do appreciate Hamish Blake、um, for giving this platform to Australian men who relate to Hamish Blake I guess like a lot of there's a lot of bearded millennials out there who look like Hamish Blake and would probably lap this 
podcasts up just because it's Hamish Blake's, you know, baby. But my, I guess my, my first thought when I saw this podcast was like, well, why don't these dudes just go listen to mummy podcasts or like podcasts about parenting from women? But I guess like a lot of men don't don't find it relatable, you know, quote unquote relatable. So, you know, so it's I, I, I appreciate Will Hamish Blake for doing this. Um, but but I'm like, um, how, you're not flipping the script when it comes to like showing ways of like performing or like um, servicing love. You know, he he, it doesn't it just doesn't for me it doesn't take a lot for him to just say yeah great my wife's awesome make her feel appreciated. You know why don't next time you do the cooking? Mm. <laughs> my first response. Yeah. I mean, I haven't listened to any of those episodes, but I want to assume in the optimistic way that he does show his appreciation through actions as well. But it does differ a lot through cultures. I'm, I'm not trying to purposely racialize this issue, but I do think that there is a differences like coming from the immigrant family, like you said, that a lot of things that our parents, we learn through the interactions of our parents in the relationship aspects. And like for myself, it's such a long way to learn and to process and to evolve as well in my own relationship terms that I know that I can't expect my partner to be like our dad who does everything without, without being asked because definitely our dad like no one's perfect but so far i see i see out how our dad as a family man as a husband he does a lot without without being asked and i feel like i, I always thought that was a norm <laughs> i always thought that <laughs> oh um a, a male partner in a heterosexual couple sense that a husband's supposed to you know uh, work and he needs to prepare what we are going to do during the weekend yeah um, <laughs> <laughs> it's extraordinary when i yeah, think about all the things our father yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah, the distance that our dad go beyond to plan so much stuff while we were younger um i don't think there's any there, i don't think there's a lot of men out there could measure up to his standard so that's for me as a process that I need to kind of change my way of thinking that um, I need to verbalize more of what I want in my relationship as in also in parenting um, what I want from my partner as well that I in the past how long have I been married almost coming to like 20 years being with my partner mm. I'm still learning yeah. to talk and express my feelings or what I want because sometimes I just don't know you know because when we were growing up our dad just prepared everything for us essentially you know he's kind of like guided us through a lot of things without us knowing what we want so it's a road learning process for me as well um coming back to parenting I think um what you said about having his own podcast about how that how other dad dads in a verb uh, in a verb sense um again i think it's just like a spectacle sort of things that people making entertainment out of parenting nowadays because where else can you capitalize apart from um now people are having less kids um it's becoming like 
I don't think it's becoming like a career, but it's almost becoming like a thing that people worship of becoming a parent.、Um, I found it so fascinating.、Um, I want to relate this to one of our texts last night that one of our family members said that one of the child asked that if、oh、<laughs> I was the cutest thing in our text conversation.、Um, a parent said that. Um, their child was asking that if you need to go to a university to become a dad or something like that. Yeah, was that? Yeah. yeah, I think that was really adorable, but also in the sense that the child is becoming aware of you need to learn something to become something is not essentially just.、Um, It is not like it happens, you know. In the past, that you just become a parent because you have a child, you learn through. But nowadays, that parenting is becoming something that you need to learn before that you become that.、Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah.、Uh, we have so much. We have so many parenting podcasts now and parenting books about educating about how you do things. In the past half decades or so, oh no, more than half decades, half centuries, I think. Yeah. Yeah, so it's becoming like a, I don't know, that you need to monetizable career. Yeah, it's a monetizable career, and also it's becoming like something that you need to learn and prepare yourself before that you just become a parent, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, most parents I've spoken to, they just say you learn on the job, right? Hmm. Yeah. There's these things you don't know. You can't. You can't know. It's like a few years ago, I read this.、Um, I, I heard from this. Professor who had written a book about being a parent, I think, and she was like, "It's like,、um, it's almost like she compared it to becoming a vampire. <laughs> like, like you can't, you can't even know what what it is to be a vampire until you get bitten." Yeah, and you really can't expect. I mean, you can be well, really, really well prepared, but when the child comes, there's so many different scenarios and. You change your expectation. You change your standard. It's just you yeah, know, exactly. What、um, we see in the you know last decade, the parent parental、uh, parenting books might not be necessarily political correct nowadays. You know, there's so much things that change throughout the years. Yeah, I think、um, parenthood as a status has always been elevated. Um, mm. Just because you know we live in a heteronormative patriarchal society and patriarchy functions on the marriage, you know, which is、um, the、uh, woman's neglect of her own desires for the family,、um, for her husband, and for her children. You know, that is what has、mm, propelled the、uh, the the whole world to the state in which you know men rule、um, most of countries, where women are consistently underpaid, where you know child marriage still exists. I can go on and on,、mm-hmm. um, but、um, I think bringing it back to Hamish Blake, he did say、um, in the f- first episode, he said that he, when it came to his role as a dad, he said that he it, it almost was like. He had bits of a recipe, but he never had the whole cookbook.、Mm-hmm. So he was like trying to. He was like he said he wanted to talk to other dads so he could like steal their ideas. And he said the point of the podcast was that other dads can like kind of take an idea and steal it, basically.、Um, and I think men still like. I, I kind of want to bring it back to the third. Like the second episode is with Adam Hills, who's a comedian. Like a lot of these guys are well known, kind of performative people in the big. Um, you know, and in, in the in the public eye,、mm-hmm. uh, Adam Hill's conversation I didn't really 
get anything from. Um, and then the latest episode which dropped today was with Stan Grant, who is, I would say, maybe at least a generation above uh, Hamish Hamish Blake. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he's in his 50s or 60s. Well, his children are adults, basically. Yeah. Um, and um, Stan Grant talks a lot more about his own father and how, mm-hmm. like, I really, I, I, I really liked what he said about how, like, there was this one bit where in the episode he talks about um, how his father was like a timber man or something. He did something, a physical labour. Mm-hmm. And when he was in his 40s and 50s he got a office job like teaching not office job but like he he got a job mentoring young indigenous kids and like um in his later years he softened like he didn't have to be so hard mm. and there was a tenderness that he assumed in his older age and he said that um Stan Graham was saying he saw he had a kind of more close emotionally close relationship with his grandfather for the same reason and it kind of made me reflect on our father and like um I I when I hang out with my father I see that he says to my his grandkids I love you which he never said to us mm-hmm. but like he says it so beautifully and like so naturally like he just says it to them without any shame and I'm like it's so beautiful and yet also makes me sad because like um there's almost like a barrier that we have with our own children or that we can't feel like we we don't have that emotional um, bond that we yearn for and yet is able to be so easily enacted between grandparents and grandchildren mm-hmm. you know it's so interesting um because i um i also haven't said to our parents i love you which is something that i just find so awkward and like i can't actually imagine ever saying it to their faces but i feel a lot of love for them yeah it's just it's interesting that that a man's sensibility can change um throughout their lives just because i don't know like maybe when we're younger we as like maybe when men are younger they feel like they have to put up some sort of emotional barrier or this like they have to portray themselves as having this sturdy masculinity that doesn't allow for tenderness and allows for gentleness um which is kind of a roundabout way of saying really summing up this whole conversation um why I'm interested in guys talking about fatherhood because not only in my conversations with Billy but also because like um as a feminist I feel like the only way to make this world the way I want it to be which is equality between the sexes is for men to be more gentle is mm. for men to destroy um uh, well I would like to live in a world where there is no gender you know where we men don't have to segregate themselves as fathers where you know ultimately the perfect world for me would be in 50 years time people wouldn't call themselves mothers or fathers they would just call themselves parents you know mm. that parenthood shouldn't be gendered and I do hope that Hamish Blake in the future, I'm looking forward to guests who are queer, who are single dads, who are, you know, dads in, you know, two dad relationships, two fathers, you know, how that um, can perhaps, you know, invite new conversations and new ideas about what it means to be a dad, you know? Mm. I think coming back to what you said about how men can only be gentle at the older age um i'm wondering because i'm not i haven't reached that age yet i'm wondering whether or not it's because that society has expected long expected men to do a lot of survival things um 
to keep up for the family. For example, you need to work, and they probably don't have the capacity to process through. I'm assuming. I'm all. It's all assumption here.、Um, don't have enough capacity to process through a lot of emotional aspects, and in saying that. And also because they never learn from their own parents as well, you know, and they're always being taught that men or boys have to be、really、toughen up,、um, you don't cry and things like that, you know. So processing that will be a bit hard, and hopefully will be seen a bit more different in the coming up generations. And also, I think men at the old age, they just seem their own mortality, you know. You you're. Your aging, your you're more humble, doesn't it? Yeah, you're you're arrived. You're becoming closer to death every day. You never know what's gonna happen. Yeah, like you said, it makes them more humble and probably would start to establish a different kind of perspectives about life as well,、yeah. or different ideas of how they treat other people. And, Yeah, that's what I think. Yeah, that's beautiful. And what? Just one final thing I want to say、um, about the conversation Hamish Blake has with Stan Grant. There is this one point where、um, Stan Grant was. So he he admits. I mean, all all of the guests so far admit that they、um, have taken like long, extensive time away from the family home. So like、mm. they all have had women, their wives. Um, doing the actual parenting at home,、um, and Stan Grant was made a point because、um, he at some point was like overseas correspond doing some like over correspondence work for during a war or something,、mm. um, and it was dangerous. And then he said something like,、um, "He wish he wished that you could be a dad at fifty because then you could your career won't be interrupted." Because he was like, "In your thirties, you want to show your kids that you have a career and that's important." And then I was like.、Um, Hello. That's why women can't get anywhere.、Yeah. You know, in society, you can only do that when you have your partner staying at home. Yeah, exactly. I kind of I thought it was a, a, a an offhanded comment that I didn't. I, I just didn't appreciate that he didn't actually acknowledge what women have to go through.、Mm-hmm. Like、um, the fact that he could just so flippantly say, "Oh, I wish I could be a dad at fifty.、Um, don't we all?" Like women don't have that choice, you know. At least, like he had, yeah,、uh, and he can. Like,、um, you know, like I cannot believe. Like, so、um, Matthew Perry just came out with a memoir, and I read an article about him where he he's fifty three,、mm-hmm. and he said that he still wants to be a dad. And I kind of was like, I thought that was sweet, but also like I resented the fact that he could he have、can. that.、Choice. Yeah, yeah, it's fucked up. Yeah. So yeah, biologically, it's it's definitely very disadvantaged to. To women that will have will have harder time if we choose to have career for you know twenty thirty years and decided that we want to have kids when we're fifty. Yeah,、um, don't we all? Medically, that it, the technology has advanced, but it's it's still harder for women. Yeah. yeah, I think it's just something that men in in a very biologically privileged position that they will say. That, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I just wish men were more aware of the excruciating, the excruciating disparity in their privilege.、Mm. I'm like, sometimes I don't even want to have conversations with men about equality. I'm like, <laughs> it's hard. I'm like, don't give me half half. Give me ninety ten. How about that? Just because, like, if you, if a man truly understands the way the the way the world is to a woman living in a female body,、mm. I think a true male partner would like give. 
would do 90% of the housework and let the woman do 10%. Honestly, I'm like, don't give me this 50-50 bullshit. Mm. My life is shittier than yours because I'm in a woman's body. Mm. Like, if you don't agree with me, um, try living in a woman's body, please. Yeah. Like, just a, a true man will, like, and, you know, I, I don't think it's possible, but, you know, obviously it's not because they, unless, you know, they're transgender and they do actually change genders um, and sex, but... It, it infuriates me this whole 50 50 thing it like it should be like 60 40 when it comes to labor or something or just like any sort of emotional repatriation or like um not repatriation um uh, i'm trying to find the word um re um not so much as reverse but it's just historically women have been put up you know, the, the the injustice has been so long. Yeah, yeah. Like, reverse that kind of effect, isn't it? Is is the repatriation the word I'm looking for? It's the word where um I'm I'm trying to look for the word that means like giving back for past crimes. What's the word okay. I'm looking for? Compensates, but not some. Re- it's the word that um um Tanahasi Coates uses a lot when he wrote all those essays. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, should we go on and talk about parenting or what? 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 What else? What final words do you have about parenting? I'm. I'm. I'm I think I've over. I've over <laughs> stretched my 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 opinions about this. <laughs> no, nah, I think we said pretty well. Yeah, on those points. Yeah. Um, before we take a break, I want just I just want to quickly share one of my cultural consumption. I'm like you, I haven't really catch up on anything. I'm still reading Beasts of Little Land this week, but I've started watching the second season of Fisk. Um, thanks to recommendation from Billy again. Uh, shout out to Billy. Um, so if anyone's watching, it's uh, an ABC comedy that is starring Kitty Flanagan and I think her sister Penny Flanagan co-wrote this comedy. Um, the first season came out last year and I just found that it's such an absolute delight watching Kitty Flanagan playing a middle-aged woman, a solicitor. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and because if you think about dramas or comedies that is relatable to middle-aged women they will always be like kids related you know you have a family and i don't want to watch that you know i don't want to watch something that's happening in my own life so it was really delightful to watch something that's a bit different where um they use this comedy to approach a lot of issues about ageism sexism and various of other issues that surrounding you know social expectations and breaches of etiquettes that can be fathomed into one single word that is ending with ism. Anyway, um, in in the first season, I remember that watching a, an episode where um, the character played by Kitty Flanagan Fisk, which is a, like a solicitor, she is this really unique person. And she speaks her mind really loudly, which in the society that um, as a woman that you don't really get to do that or if you get reprimanded if you say your what is your mind directly. And if you're being too loud, you're not being appreciated, you're, you're being kind of punished um, and especially nowadays with a lot of like social media and like that kind of... Um, 
What do you? I, I'm trying to pro process this thought, but I'm I'm finding it hard to explain it. How everything is being put on the internet. Um, there's a sort of like a as ex, exhibitionist sort of behavior, and a lot of um, transgressions about how you should be political correct. Um, people throwing words, um, triggering, or yeah, um, things that is just it's throwing words that's really in a performative way. Anyway, it's just that the this comedy is the sheer mundane jokes that throws around that can be really dark sometimes, but also very very funny. Mm-hmm. If everyone, if you haven't seen the first season, I honestly encourage everyone to go and see the first season. But if you don't want to see the watch the first season, you can still watch it from the second season because yeah. there's yeah. nothing really much that is connected that you need to watch. Um, so the first episode, uh, Fisk enters a cafe where she didn't know that it's a juice slash smoothie bar. <laughs> right, <laughs> very te- contemporary as well. <laughs> It's in Melbourne, okay. So she's trying to order a coffee, and the staff tells her that oh, we don't sell coffee here. I think he says something like, <laughs> "Coffee is a toxin that we don't." Oh you God. know, that's kind of new age shitty stuff. Yeah, Melbourne basically. Yeah, and he's trying to introduce yeah. her this kind of new age novelties: a drink with kale and protein, and <laughs> mushrooms. <laughs> So funny, and she end up um, going to the convenience store getting the one dollar coffee. Yeah, it was so funny. And then when she returns to her office, she's seen that everyone's having like a the smoothie in their hand. Um, it's just play. It's just like a taking the piss out of you know what the contemporary society has become. Yeah. you know, from her point. I of mean, view. boomers love to hate on it, all the things. <laughs> Yeah, so I thought that was a um, recommendation for our listeners. Fist. Oh, awesome. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, so let's take a quick break, and when we come back, we will revisit some of the news items that's been you know, out in the world this week. We'll be right back. Okay, um, so we're back. So last week, we kind of... Um, ran out of time to talk about a couple of news items but this week as we approach into the final months of spring in Southern Hemisphere last weekend was a Halloween um, as everyone knows that we don't really we haven't really been really celebrating Halloween in Australia but it's becoming more commercialized and popular yeah. amongst kids in the past couple of years and this news came in last Sunday morning that it was very shock. It was really shocking to me that I didn't really think it would happen. But at the same time, that um, you, you considering that how much that we've been cooped up in the isolation during pandemics, I think this kind of incidents was avoidable, but also unavoidable at the same time. I think. Um, yeah. So, so do you want to tell the listeners what you're talking about? Yeah, so what I'm talking about is the Itaewon stampede that happened in South Korea last weekend. Um, unfortunately, on the evening of 29th of October, there were more than 100,000 people yeah. in their teens and then 20s pour into Itaewon's uh, narrow sloping streets for one of their major Halloween celebrations. 
since COVID restrictions were lifted. So apparently, just after 10 p.m., chaos erupted on the narrow, steep street near Itawan Station that connects to a slew of bars and clubs from the main road. There were witnesses reporting seeing crowds surging in different directions and people losing their footing on the slope, causing a domino effect. People fell and knocked each other down, um, piling one person and another on and trapping them. Others tried to scale the sides of the buildings to escape. Some escaped by going into the shops that were still open, and the first report on the Sunday morning indicated that there were around 146 deaths. Um, I think it's increasing. I'm not quite sure. You were saying that there were about 4,000 people that were recorded as still missing, which is very shocking. Yeah, I think it's, they still like there's still like death and injuries unaccounted for. Oh. Because it's such a major incident. Oh my goodness, um, I didn't know that. I, I, I. The latest thing I've read is from um, Tammy E. Kim, mm-hmm. um, who writes for the New Yorker, and um, she wrote about the incident, and um, it's it's quite harrowing. It's mm-hmm. really harrowing. Yeah, in a later report by the Guardian, um, there was they said there's an expert of a uh, crowd behavior, which I didn't know. There's a crowd oh, behavior so study. Yes. There's studies of everything. There's a study of everything. Um, so this professor said that overcrowding, unmanaged crowd, and wide paths filtering into narrow paths are the recipe for a disaster. Um, I think if something happened similar in Indonesia earlier in October yeah. as well yeah. with the soccer um, game. Soccer game, yeah. Mm. But I think that the the deadly stampede in the Indonesia was erupted. It was escalated by the reactions put by the police. Yeah, police who like uh, fired heat yeah. gas or something when they should not have. So that worsened the 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 you know the reactions by the spectators. Yeah, I think there's a lot of things that we need to consider now. We're really kind of slowly returning to pre-COVID social gatherings and celebrations, which will result some sort of, um, everyone should really look into risk assessments. You know, after two years of confining in the isolation, the major events will really need to pay more attention when it comes to crowd control. Well, um, well, the thing with the, um, in what happened in South Korea, and I want to be very careful with what I say, because I haven't read the full extent of it, but mm. what I've but I, what I've ascertained from Tammy E Kim's article is that um, uh, it, it's it's a, it's obviously the fault of um, not the crowd but the um, organizers of the mm-hmm. uh, and the way in which um, the 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 city and its systems i guess is the word i'd use i've failed the people that night in because um one thing that tammy says in her article is that um there was actually four hours before the 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 first um sort of deaths were broadcasted they uh, apparently there was um already people calling and Mm -hmm. saying that there's there's like people squished it's been dangerous people are like um they, they they apparently had a um emergency call that they recorded of people already like four hours before this any of this was happening they already had people saying people are dying here come out and help us or like they they had like um apparently there was a huge lack of like police presence mm-hmm. so there was 
there were no kind of um music public, were very event, public event um there were there was a lack of public event um sort of structure or safety policy around mm -hmm. not not policy like a means there's a lack of there was a clear lack of like um the the coordination system. around yeah the lack of like public's what, what would you call it like public uh, fit um health and safety health and safety people. yeah lack of that thing you know I, I don't know what the words i'm trying to grasp at but i think you get my gist there's mm -hmm. like there wasn't um there wasn't that present that night and so these people it, I like I I had to really try and stay away from all the articles that were happening, like appearing online about like how to how to make sure you don't get into these situations in the future or like what really happened and you know like a visual diagram of what happened. Like it's so it's so um, it's 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 excruciatingly upsetting reading these things. So I just like I, I'm aware of not trying to like. Um, be insensitive or trivialize anything that's happened because obviously it's like it is a horrifying it's a tragedy it's, yeah. it's so horrifying and and like a lot of people are saying online it, it's yet another example of the south korean government um and it's bureaucrats failing the generation the young generation you know the millennials and the gen y's of south korea who already have to put up with a lot especially women as tammy kim says you know yeah. they've women in South Korea, you know, Helen, you and I have done countless podcasts about the um, ghastly state of being a woman in South Korea. Mm -hmm. um, and, um, you know, obviously I'm referring to the tragedy that happened with the um, ferry disaster in mm -hmm. 2014. Um, as Tammy says, um, those kids who were teenagers then, they would have been around the same age as the uh, many of the victims of yeah. last week's um, tragedy. It's it's just yeah it's it's so unspeakable i don't i don't even i know how to speak about it just because i don't feel comfortable mm. with what's happened mm. yeah we'll see how you guys in the coming days of how the changes of um south korea bureaucrats were echo upon on this incident um another news that i was going to talk about last week which have a kind of a new development into it was the saga between the Australian netball team and the yes. Croatian Hancock in sponsorship. Um, for those who doesn't know what is netball, <laughs> do you want to quickly <laughs> tell us? It's played on a basketball court and um, you can't dribble the ball. Mm. And yeah, that's it. I guess it's like basketball. Sports. Sports. Yeah, yeah. You can't. You 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 can only pass the ball around. And to yeah. women's sports, I think it's only becoming recent that there are men playing it. Um, you know, you have positional players who are designated in uh, certain areas. You can't cross on. You know, go over to the other areas and. There's only like two or three positions. I haven't played netball for like, God, the 20 years or so. 
there are only certain position who can shoot the gold. Um, so what happened was that on the, I believe on the 15th of October that the Guardian Australia had the first report of that Australian national network team, the Diamonds, which they are called, have reportedly taken a stand against the Netball Australia's um, new sponsor, which is the mining giant Hancock Prospecting, uh, owned by the mega-rich Gina Reinhardt. Mm-hmm. As most of our Australians know, she's the one of the ultra-rich and ruthless when it comes to business and money-making exploitations, land exploitations, I want to rephrase on that. So Hancock Prospecting were, had proposed a $15 million sponsorship over four years for Netball Australia. Now, of course, when it comes to sponsorship, there's always a condition that in the trade that you need to, players would need to wear uniforms with Hancock prospecting logos and the venues they will be played at will supply with signage and banners of the sponsors. But on the 15th of October's article, the focus was that some players have called the governing body to do better than accepting monies from Reinhardt who they call the climate denier. Mm. Standoff also reportedly surrounds the views of Reinhardt's father, the late Len Hancock, who founded the business and espoused strong right-wing and racist views about Australia's Indigenous community. And here I'm going to quote his words in the 1984 documentary on racism against First Nation people. So he said, the ones that are not good to do to themselves cannot accept things. The half casts, and this is where the most the trouble comes. I would dope the water up so they were sterile and would breed themselves out in future, and that would solve the problem. Um, I don't know which came out first, as in that the team doesn't like, you know, it refused to receive the sponsor money because she's a climate denier or is it because you know this company was found by the racist um because within the days of proceeding that neighbor team the diamonds have you know we they have an indigenous player named donna wallen and i believe she's like a third indigenous woman to be in the national team Mm. They were backing her wish of not wearing the uniform with the logo of mm. Hancock prospecting. So I don't know which one came first, as in the argument of saying that because Gina Reinhardt is a climate denier, or that because you know this racist mm. remark. Um, so after very first initial reporting comes to news about that, how Netball Australia is trying to maintain a good relationship with Hancock prospecting to keep the responsorship. You know, it's almost like a tug war situation and for about a week and finally um, that Hancock Prospecting withdraw his sponsorship for the team. Mm. Yeah. But the latest development that we saw by the end of last week was that um, <laughs> this is a, actually a good news that the Victoria State Government has pledged the sponsorship money of $15 million for the Netball Australia. Yeah. Yeah, which is a good outcome, obviously, you know. I think um, national team sports, eventually the government needs to do something. Obviously, um, advertising does pay and also the money from spectators also results in the incomes for these players. But my question is that how do we determine what is more important? You know, if you're one of the employees that is working for Netball Australia, 
mm. you know that your position will be sustainable through this sponsorship right right money from yeah. the racist yeah climate denier company are you going it's very yeah. hard to weigh out and balance your livelihood and yeah because absolutely of considering what is right isn't it yeah I can't, uh, I can't. If you had asked me, I really wouldn't know what to do because it is such a complicated dilemma, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I mean, we're, we're both in a very privileged position at the moment. At the moment, I'm saying <laughs> that we don't need to make a decision right now. But as the disparity between wealthy and the poor gets bigger and our is- a lot of issues in our life, well, I feel like this eventually going to be interconnected over a lot of political and moral aspects. Yeah, when the time comes, I honestly don't know how we're going to choose. It's hard to say. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's all we have this week. Yeah, so that's the end of it. So that's the end of our episode. Remember to subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Google and Apple and give us a five-star rating. If you would like to support what we do here at Asian Bitches Down Under, head to Buy Me Coffee page and make a donation for us to continue the intersectionality in the podcast industry. So that's it from us this week. Um, We'll chat to you next time. Stay safe. So the word I was looking for is reparation. Oh. Oh, Repatriation. Oh my god, English is second language. Come on, give me a break here. I think there should be gender reparations. Mm. Honestly. It's gonna be hard. Oh, it's impossible. Oh, you have those men's rights rights activists who continuously, you know, being evasive and defending themselves for no reason at all to uphold their own privilege and entitlement. I'm so tired. I'm so tired all the time. And it's also like, um, not just because, you know, we're, we're systemically kind of um, secondary citizens, um, but also like physically, um, leading like two litres of blood every month. Um, <laughs> Being iron deficient. Yeah, God, God hates women as well, it looks like it. Well, God is a man, you know. Oh, is he? Obviously. I don't, I don't. I, society constructed him as a male character. Yes, of course. <laughs> oh, God.